Good morning. It's my privilege to welcome you to Central Presbyterian Church today, where we seek transformation through the renewing work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Throughout this season of Lent, we have been studying the Psalms of Ascent. Those were the Old Testament songs that God's people sang as they traveled to Jerusalem for feast days, including for Passover. And so as we make our journey toward Jerusalem for Holy Week, for Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection, we're singing these songs and studying these songs too, asking how are we being led to Jesus himself? This morning we come to Psalm 130, which was said to have been Martin Luther's favorite. And we sing of a God who hears the cries of his people. He hears us when we're at our low point, but how does he respond? What does God do when he hears us? What does he do in us when we cry out to him? Let's pray as we turn our hearts to Psalm 130. Oh Lord, we ask that you would send the spirit and open the eyes of our hearts that we might behold Jesus here. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities... O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchman for the morning. More than watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. The Lord teaches the humble his way. My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. In July of 2018, the world was transfixed on 12 soccer players between the ages of 11 and 16 and their coach, had been trapped in a cave in Thailand. Do you remember that? Netflix had come out with a movie about it not too long ago. These boys went into the cave to explore a little bit, and it was monsoon season, and the heavy rains began to fall, so heavy, in fact, that the way out of the cave became flooded, and it sent them deeper into the cave. In fact, they went two and a half miles into this cave, and no one heard from them for a week. Who could hear their cry? They were stuck there for two weeks total, not sure that any of them would live. They were in the depths for sure. Imagine how lonely it was. Imagine how scary it must have felt for them that first week. Would anybody know where they were? Could anybody know where to come try and find them? And then two British divers searching for them came upon them, all 13 of them alive. And the world scrambled to try to figure out how to get these boys out. 10,000 people mobilized to save these boys. All while they wondered, who can hear our cry? Are these people competent? 
Are they able to save us? Are they willing to put their lives at risk to save ours? Just who is listening? Who's hearing our cry? That's where the psalmist was. That's what God's people sang as they were on the way to the feast, as they were traveling to Passover. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Hear my voice, let your ears be attentive to my pleas for mercy. Do you think it matters who's listening? If you're in the depth of a cave, if you're at the bottom of a well, if you're mired in the trap of your own sin and you can't free yourself, do you think it matters who hears you? Of course it does. Because calling on everybody is not the same as calling out to one who's able to save you. It's not the same as calling out to one who wants to save you. And what this psalm tells us is that the God who hears us, hears our cry, offers us mercy. He offers us forgiveness and he's committed to us as his people. It matters who hears you. It it matters who is listening. So what do we hear about? What do we learn about this God who hears us in this psalm? First, we learn that God's heart is drawn to mercy. The psalmist is in the depths, but, but what's his problem? It's not something physical. He's not looking for deliverance. He's neck deep guilt and shame. He's all the way down in this pit of guilt and shame. He feels like he's drowning in his sin. Verse two says, be attentive to the pleas of mercy. Verse three, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? He's essentially saying, Lord, I'm asking you for mercy. And you have to understand that in the Bible, mercy is treatment better than we deserve. You're asking God for treatment better than we deserve because if you're the kind of God who counts my sin against me, I'm sunk. I'm lost. Lord, don't don't deal with me based on what I deserve because what we deserve is hell. What we deserve is to be judged and cast away from God's presence because of all of our sin. Lord, if you kept track of all my sin, it literally says, if you watch sins. Lord, if you pay attention to all of my sins and you treated me on the basis of how I've lived my life, who could stand? We're all far too guilty. We're far too sinful. We're in way too deep to dream of any other way to relate to God than mercy. To be treated better than, far better than we deserve. But there are times in our lives when we behave as if all we could expect from God when he sees us in our sin is a reminder of all the ways that we fail. All law, we might say, demands and commands and this God who hears us continues to prosecute us. Even after we've pled for mercy, that's how we fear God is. If God were one of those rescue divers finding these boys down in the cave, it would be like if what was most important to them was to remind the boys of all their mistakes. Boys, do you know how you wound up in this place? Don't you know that you don't go down in a cave in monsoon season? Coach, you surely know better. Don't you boys see how badly you've behaved? Didn't you follow the safety procedures? Now that you're sufficiently humiliated in all your failures, we're just going to leave now. We're going to leave you there in all of that humiliation. That's how we fear God treats us sometimes because we do relationships like that with other people. 
If you please me, I'm going to give you my favor. But if you don't, I might rehearse all the ways that you failed me. Parents, we do this with our children all the time. Our children will tell us, at least it, I do as a dad. Kids confess what they've done wrong and, and they'll tell me that they're sorry. And sometimes I want to just kind of drill down and make sure they get everything right. That they know exactly how they've sinned. We do it with our friends too. We push them away if they don't please us. But if they do, we'll give them our favor. We do that with each other, but that's not the God who hears you when you cry out to him. The God who hears us is is drawn toward his children in mercy. That's why the psalmist knows to sing about it. In his book, The Bruised Reed, Puritan Richard Sibbs wrote this. We have this for a foundation truth. So get that in your mind, a foundation truth, a bedrock. And this is what you build your life on, this foundation truth. And here it is. There is more mercy in Christ than there is sin in us. That's the foundation truth on which our Christian lives are built. There is more mercy in Christ than there is sin in us. His mercy is sufficient for us to build our lives upon. Do you believe that today? Amen. It's true, whether you believe it or not. There's more mercy in Christ than there is sin in you and me. That's the way Jesus lived his life. We see the pattern in how Jesus was drawn toward people whose lives were caught in the depths. His harshest words, his clearest words of judgment were for those who were religiously self-righteous. Those who thought they didn't have need for a savior. We're living just fine on our own. But it seems like the worse off someone's life was, the deeper mired in guilt, the, the, the more that, that they were trapped in their sin, rather than repelling Jesus, it actually drew him closer to them. That's the kind of God we have. But why? Why do we have assurance that this is the God who hears us? Look again at verse 1. From the depths I call to you, O Lord, all caps. Verse three, if you, O Lord, capitals again, should mark iniquities, who could stand? Verse seven, with the Lord, all caps, there's steadfast love and plentiful redemption. Now, if you were here a few weeks ago, you might remember that when Lord is printed in all caps, that's the name Yahweh. That's the covenant name, the intimate name that God revealed to his people to tell them who he is, to say, I am your God and you are my people. They sang this song remembering who the Lord is as they traveled up to Passover, as they remembered this God who provided the blood of a lamb at Passover to rescue his people from judgment and from slavery. It's that same Lord, it's that same promise-keeping, covenant-making God who bound himself by promise to us as the Lord took on flesh and became for us the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus, who took away all of our slavery to sin, who takes away the sin of the world, who was nailed to the cross for people like us. We cry out for mercy and know that he hears us because we know his name. Because he's told us what he's like. We know his promises. We know his covenant. We know that he's the God who's bound himself to his people by the blood of the lamb. The lamb of God. We know he draws near in mercy to sinners like us. Because he's shown himself to us. He's shown himself to you. 
So whenever we cry out to the Lord, drowning in our guilt, don't suspect that he's that hard prosecuting father, ready to rehearse all the ways that you failed. But instead we cry out to the one who's given his life, the life of his son, that we, he might extend mercy to sinners like us. He sees all of our guilt clearly, but he sent Jesus to die that we might receive his mercy. That's the Lord who hears you when you cry out to him from the deep. He's drawn toward you rather than repelled away when you cry out. Even when you're trapped in your sin and you call out, it draws the Lord near in mercy. We also see that we have a God who forgives. Look at verse four. But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared or respected in awe or, or adored. Now, there are some people in your life who may hold a grudge against you when you've offended them. Anybody know? Anybody has a grudge against them? I think we all probably do. There's some people in your life who want revenge when you've hurt them. And still others are not satisfied unless they get a pound of flesh, unless they can make sure that you hurt the way that they hurt, that you hurt them. If you feel that pain in your own life, they're not satisfied until you feel that pain. But that's not the God who hears you when you cry out for mercy. It says, with the Lord there is forgiveness. That is, we're not responsible for our sins any longer. They've been wiped away. They've been cleansed. The guilt of all of our transgressions is removed. With you, there is forgiveness for all of them. Look at verse 8. He will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Not most of them. Not just the ones that are socially acceptable and we might wink a little bit at our laziness or gluttony or the way that we gossip to one another, but all of our iniquity, including the ones that are most heinous in our own eyes, heinous in our world, the Lord forgives all of our iniquity, he says. Psalm 103 puts it like this, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Have you ever thought about how far that is? The east is from the, from the west. Just had this little thought experiment with me. If you begin to travel east and you walk all the way around the globe going east, how far do you have to go until you make it to the west? You never get there, do you? Because once you start traveling east, you keep going east and go around and around and around and east. If you turn around and you start traveling west around the globe, how far west do you travel before you find yourself east? Never. You never get there. There's an infinite distance between east and west. And that's what the Lord says that he does with your sin. As far as the east is from the west, so far does the Lord remove our sins from us. Every one of them, all of them. The ones that you've spoken out loud and the ones that, that we still hide within our hearts. The Lord brings forgiveness. And it's available now. He says, with you is forgiveness. In fact, in the Hebrew, there's, there's no verb. It literally says, with you, forgiveness. Not maybe one day. Not when you've made up for it all and you've tried to balance your life out. I've done more good than I have bad, so the Lord will, will forgive all my sin because I tipped the balance. Not that. Not even waiting until the last day. 
When all of our lives are laid bare and the judge, the Lord the judge comes and makes an assessment of our life, we don't have to wait until that moment to know we are forgiven. You can know right now that you are forgiven because the Lamb of God was slain for you. You can know it today. If you trust in that Jesus, that means if you rely on his death on your behalf, if you put all of the weight of your life on Jesus and what he's done for you, then he went to the cross in your place. And the Bible says that all our sin was nailed in his body to the tree. He was punished for our sins and we don't bear them anymore. It's promised and it's sure The psalmist sings, we sing, with you there is forgiveness that you may be adored, Lord. So what are they waiting on? Verses five and six, what are they they waiting for? I wait for the Lord, my soul waits more than watchmen for the morning. The the picture is of of a soldier standing atop city walls. Maybe he's, he's at the gates of Jerusalem in the dark, looking east, waiting for the sun to come up. The poetry repeats here. So it seems like maybe this is a, a protracted night, a long night. This soldier is eager. He's, he's bleary-eyed, just hanging on until the sun comes up. He's, but it seems like it takes so long. What are they waiting for? What are they singing about waiting, hung, hanging on to hope, maybe even by their, their, by their nails? They're, they're not waiting for deliverance. That's not what the psalm's about. They're not waiting for forgiveness either because verse 4 said it's promised and it's sure. What they're waiting for is the Lord himself that he might bring to them the, an experience of the intimacy and the forgiveness that they profess is true. They're in that moment waiting for the Lord in his powerful presence to restore fellowship with them that they would know in the depth of their hearts the forgiveness that they sing is true that's what they're waiting on they're waiting to feel what they know is true now the bible knows and teaches us that the penalty for our sin has already been destroyed by the cross we are forgiven but the presence of sin still remains in our lives doesn't it Our willpower isn't enough to conquer all of our sin. If we try to fight our temptation on our own strength, we're going to fail. We might even fail and fall into some habitual sin. And you may not feel forgiven sometimes. What you may feel is shame. But hear the scripture clearly. Forgiveness doesn't depend on how forgiven you feel. That forgiveness doesn't rest on whether or not you feel like you've been clean before the Lord. I am so thankful that the psalmist sings this, teaches us as God's people to sing this truth because it's, it's so true of how we live our lives sometimes. But forgiveness is true because of what Jesus has done for you on the cross and in his resurrection. And yet there are times in our lives when we feel like we're drowning in our guilt and we can't fathom a grace who would forgive somebody like me, who's done what I continue to do. We can't imagine a God who would love me like that. But the truth is that the Lord forgives because as the old hymn says, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. It's true that we're forgiven because the Lord promised to forgive. 
even when you struggle to feel it, even when you struggle to feel forgiven, it's still true. So what do we do? In the morning, sometimes when you feel so guilty, you struggle to look at yourself in the mirror. What we do is we look to the Lord like that soldier on the wall. It feels like night. It feels like we're trapped in the dark, but we are certain that morning is coming. We are certain that the sun's going to come up. No matter how dark it feels, no matter how far off it might feel, the grace of God belongs to us and it is going to renew our hearts. So we hang on. We look expectantly to the Lord. We wait for the Lord because he comes to his beloved in grace. We watch and we wait for the Lord to renew and rekindle in our hearts an experience of his love because he loves you far more than you could ever imagine being loved. More than watchmen for the morning, we wait for the Lord. The God who hears is drawn to you in mercy. The God who hears offers forgiveness to us. And finally, the God who hears is committed to us. You're not out there fighting your sin like you're a cowboy. All on your own, alone, left to my devices, left to my power to fight my sin in which I'm drowning. That's not the truth. Look at verse 7. The truth is, O Israel, you who belong to the Lord, you people who belong to the Lord, hope in the Lord. You who are watching and waiting, waiting to feel the forgiveness that's been given to you, waiting to feel that intimate presence of God again, but struggling, remember God has claimed you for his own. You are his people. He's committed to you. So we sing it because so much of our theology is caught when we sing it. When we sing the music, the truth works its way down deeper into our hearts. So we sing the truth, even when it's hard to feel. And when you can't sing it, when the words won't come out of your mouth, you listen to the saints around you sing it. Because it's true, whether you feel it or not. Verse 7, with him is steadfast love. It's a beautiful little three-letter Hebrew word. It's hesed. Some of you may know that word. It means love, but a, a committed love, a loyal love, a love that can't be torn away from you. That's steadfast love. Maybe you've heard it translated before, unfailing loyal favor. Maybe some of you parents, you've read to your kids the Jesus Storybook Bible, which is in all of your pews, by the way, that little wonderful children's book. The way it translates this little word hesed is, this is God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. That's what he offers to you. And that's a love that's been sealed in the blood of the Lamb of God given for you on the cross. God is that committed to you. It's a steadfast love. It's an always and forever love, an unbreaking love given to you. And he says further with him is plentiful redemption. That, 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 that grace that buys us back, that, that calls us out, redeems us from all of our sin. It's plentiful. There's sufficient resources. There's plenty of God's resources to cover the cost of your redemption. God's never going to run short. Your sin is never going to outpace the Lord's ability to forgive. It is a plentiful redemption. Whatever sin and guilt and shame plague your life, 
the blood of Jesus is plenty to cover it all. And it says in verse 8, he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. What it literally says is, he himself will redeem. He himself will do it. I heard a story, I've heard it lots of times, about a little boy, maybe you even lived it, who was afraid of the dark. His parents put him into bed one night, and before long, they heard his cry from his bedroom, Dad? Dad, I'm scared. Dad, can you help me? But dad was already in the bed. Dad was cozy under the blankets and wasn't really interested in getting up. So dad says from underneath his blankets, don't worry, son. God loves you and God's going to take care of you. There's silence from the little boy's room. 30 seconds, 60 seconds, 90 seconds. And then finally the little boy calls out, dad, I know God loves me, but right now I kind of need somebody with skin on. (laughs) It matters who's listening to your cry, doesn't it? And the God who hears is the God who himself puts skin on to enter this world. The God who himself has entered into this broken mess of a guilty life. He put skin on to save you and me with a steadfast, loyal, unbreaking, always and forever love and plentiful redemption. His grace will never run short and he himself has done it. We sing to a Jesus who knows all about your sin. It's no secret that you and I are drowning in guilt and shame. It's no no secret that we might be in the bottom of a hole in a cave of shame. Jesus knows all about it, and he himself came to rescue you from all of it. So we sing. We sing it as a people who are saved at the cost of the life of the God himself who came. Those little boys in that cave all survived. Every one of them, including their coach, because of who heard them. Divers who were able to save, divers who wanted to save, because that's who heard them, they were all rescued. And Jesus hears your cries. The maker of heaven and earth, the redeemer, the one with steadfast love and plentiful redemption. And so while you may be waiting on that wall, waiting to feel forgiven, remember the God who put skin on to save you. Let's pray. Lord, help us to remember your great love for us. Help us to trust you. Lord, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you today, would you enable them to rely upon you? Give them a new heart and enable them to rely upon you to put all of the weight of their life onto your shoulders, Jesus, as you took their punishment on the cross and were raised from the dead in victory. Lord, would you revive all of us again in that sure and steadfast hope that we are loved and forgiven, that with you there's plentiful redemption and you will redeem us from all of our sin and one day we will see you face to face when sin is no more. Lord, help us to know it and trust it. Even those of us who are waiting to feel it, would you draw near to us in mercy today?
in Jesus' name. Amen.